Hello, guys. Welcome back to the shitcoin.com show. Uh, on this week's show, we are joined by possibly one of the most OG miners, I guess, in the space, um, Marshall Long. Welcome, Marshall. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. And I know uh, you and Andreas actually met up, what, a few months ago now? Yeah. I mean, we met at the, uh, the non-conference called Satoshi Roundtable in Mexico. And um, yeah, I mean, I attended one of your um, one of your open discussions where people, a lot of people, asked you about the state of mining, and there were already some talks about um, the BTC happening that's coming up. But a lot of change, things have changed since then, and a lot of people's plans. So, <laughs> I guess the question is like, um, what have you been up to since then? And how has, uh, how's your plans changed? Yeah, I guess uh, this global pandemic's kind of wrecked everybody's plans. But that's the nice thing about Bitcoin. You can't really wreck Bitcoin's plans, I guess. Um, that happening's going to come one way or another. That's for damn sure. And while, uh, uh, while everybody's kind of locked up <laughs> and the economy is not doing very well, the, I mean, the hash power of, of Bitcoin is at an all-time high, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it, um, some speculation on that being people pulling off of Bitcoin Cash, but I can tell you that um, that might be partly true. But there's a lot of people spinning up new operations for sure. That's that's interesting as well. So yeah, Bitcoin Cash is actually already halved, right? Mm -hmm. So that's right. How is how has that impacted uh, the state of affairs in the mining world? Yeah, so I can tell you right now, um, I only mine Bitcoin, but. Um, from, I, I used to mine whatever. Um, it's interesting. I think you always see weird things around, a, a having for a popular coin. BCH is a popular coin, obviously. Um, most of the time for me, it goes against what my intuition tells me. So in the having for Bitcoin in 2016, we saw the price run up a little bit. And then at the having the price went down and I was like, how does that make any sense? And, um, it was interesting too, cause right before then I had tons of people hitting me up trying to buy several of my operations. So I sold one of my data centers in Quebec at that time, all the gear, people were offering good deals and stuff for buying stuff. And so I told them, yeah, sure. Um, and then the price went down and that didn't make any sense to me. So, uh, I mean the same thing happened in 2012. So, uh, although I think the economies of scale were much different in 2012. I'm not sure that we can really compare apples to apples there. Um, but as far as Bitcoin cash goes, I mean, you saw some really weird stuff too. That doesn't really make sense. So I think it's just because there's so many people who think they know what's going to happen and there's just a lot of movement around the, the having time. So as this Bitcoin having comes very close, you're going to see, um, I mean, the price right now is a little bit depressed, but I mean, I'm, I'm building new data centers and I know several other people are too. And uh, even at this current price, I mean, I'll still be profitable after having. So I expect to see the hash rate continue to climb unless the price sinks real hard. If the price goes back to like 4K or something like that, you probably see the hash rate drop off. Um, after the halving, if the price stays around here, you'll see the hash rate drop off again. Just because I want to say, you know, 40, maybe 50% of miners aren't competitive at 
effectively today's price of $3,500 Bitcoin after the halving, right? So if it's $6,000 at the halving, most of those people aren't going to be competitive. So I expect to see a hash rate drop off for sure, unless the price runs up. Become an early adopter. And is that a, you know, when the price is dropping, all of us people who understand nothing about mining, you know, we keep, we keep talking to each other like, oh, I heard if it hits this number, then nobody's going to mine. And um, <laughs> uh, like for you, is there, a, is there a secret number that you have in your mind so that if the price goes below, you just go like, fuck, I'm, I'm losing money every day now? Yeah, it's it, and that number is different for everybody, uh, everybody's operation. So, and it also has to do with business model. So, the way some people mine is, they'll mine and they'll sell coin at the end of the month to pay their power bill. Some people are allowed to forward pay their power bill, um, so that might not be as much of a factor as. Uh, so, for my strategy, we try to take the pricing the volatility out in a business model in a way where we want to try to pay our power on day one for however long the power company will let us. Um, of course, the power price is super important. And the number you're looking for is cost of production. Like how much does it cost all in to make one Bitcoin? That's the number that if Bitcoin drops below that number for me, it becomes not profitable to mine. However, not profitable to mine depends on your business model, right? So if I've paid my power up for however long, let's say two years, um, then my only real OPEX there is employees and maybe some maintenance costs. Unless I'm going through an upgrade cycle, then I have more CapEx I would have to use to buy more gear. But from a day-to-day -day standpoint, if your power is taken care of, then it's not so much what is your cost of production. It's more so what's your overhead outside of power. Yeah, because um, I, I was going to make an example with airlines, but that might not make sense. But um, I guess with an oil tanker. Yeah, gold mining is into, a good one uh, too. Well, I don't know much about that either. But I was thinking because <laughs> uh, uh, with the airlines, we're seeing that they're just like dropping like flies today. And yeah maybe you paid a lot of money up front for things you're now not going to use and yeah. probably not insured against that. That's right. Well, for them too, I think there's some kind of regulated entity that states that they have to fly certain legs. I know that's the case in Europe. I think they were able to get that relaxed, but for airlines, right? It's very similar to mining in the fact that your largest expenditure mostly is the, 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 the jets, right? A jet can only do one thing. It can only fly. Bitcoin and must always, a 747 must always be in the air, right? That's right. If it's on the ground, it's not making money. And that's actually why flight attendants don't get paid if the jet is at the get, the jet bridge. So um, their, their clock starts basically as soon as they pull back from the gate. Um, I, I, or maybe if it's when they, they take off. Um, so that's, that's the other thing, right? A lot of power companies over the years have approached me and said, Hey, can we do some kind of like special rate where you take your power at night and we'll give it to you at a great discount. And during the day you turn off. 
No, <laughs> no miner will ever do that because I want to run all the time forever. So um, it's, it's very similar in that regard, right? So they know what they can make and they, they know what each flight is supposed to make. And uh, same for miners, mostly. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to sign up to our newsletter at shitcoin.com slash newsletter. At the shitcoin.com show, we love a bit of spice. And I saw that you, uh, you threw down some spice on, uh, on some claims about Blockstream's mining operation. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, you don't think that they've got a, a facility so that big? <laughs> I, 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 can, I mean, I would be willing to put money on it. So the number yeah. that they stated at the time that they tweeted was we have three times the hash rate. I think they said around three times the hash rate of the entire Bitcoin cash network. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I ran some back of the envelope math and if they have decent gear, decent mining gear, um, then really that means that they would have to have around 500 megawatts and there's i think there's only maybe three or four people who have that and i know those three or four people and unless blockstream is co-locating with one of those people which is highly unlikely i call bullshit and i asked adam privately well in a private group to you know let me know i've got a lot of respect for adam um you know he's that's dr uh, beck yeah dr beck he and I have butted heads during the Bitcoin classic days, but I got a lot of respect for him. Uh, even at Satoshi Roundtable, he, uh, we had a good chat on one of my discussions too. And, uh, but um, Adam didn't tweet that. Somebody else that I'm unfamiliar with tweeted that. And I don't know if they're part of Blockstream or not, but I can tell you that I am fairly confident that they are not running 500 megawatts. Um, I was thinking about this. So um, mining computers... I think this this is something that's very confusing to us outside of the mining space because every single day Bitmain is apparently, I would say, close to bankrupt. According to <laughs> according to the news sources, uh, a lot of people read, which will be you know Reddit, Bitcoin, and uh, a bunch on Twitter, CoinDesk, everything, but it never seems to to happen. And when you ask people where the, where the gear is from, it seems to be from Bitmain. Mm-hmm. So can you explain that? So Bitmain is uh, a Chinese entity and the way Chinese companies run is not always logical. I'll say a lot of companies that I have either worked for or been a part of sometimes the backers have so much money that they're just willing to kind of let it ride until they can get, a better, you know, outlook. And that's not necessarily the case for Bitmain. I can say that there's two things at play. The secondary market right now is flooded with almost exclusively Bitmain gear. So because somebody has Bitmain gear, that doesn't mean they bought it from Bitmain. That's the first thing. Second thing is um, there's a lot of R&D costs that Bitmain has to forbear. And uh, to be able to recoup that, you're kind of a victim to the to the cycle, right? So if price is high, you'll be able to recoup it quickly because the R&D they're doing now is for the Samsung 5 nanometer stuff. I mean, that's Intel's not doing that. 
AMD's not doing that. <laughs> Apple's not doing that. Samsung 5 nanometer basically means that the gate on the chip is three electrons wide. So that means the yield on those chips is really bad because there's not a good way to yet to design a chip around that. Just because the tolerance for failure is literally one electron wide. It's very I remember small. this from, uh, yeah, I remember this from some kind of physics class that if you, if you make wires or lanes in this case, and they're very, very small uh, because of, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, quantum, quantum tunneling is an works, issue. Yeah. Your electron will literally jump from one wire to the other. That's and, right. And one plus one is now three. That's right. So there's all kinds of issues that they have to spend money on in order to learn, in order to stay competitive. Um, and that's something that most people don't take into account. So I can tell you that um, Bitmain's still making miners, still selling them. Um, their sales team's big. Um, but I know that the current pandemic has affected them, just like every other company. Um, so do I think that they're in any kind of risk of going under? I, I would be very surprised if they went under in the next 18 months. Um, but there's also other, other competitors too, right? Like uh, What's Miner, MicroBT, they're very competitive now, um, but they're more focused on global sales. Uh, for instance, the new S19, you could only get from Bitmain if you were a Chinese citizen. You had to provide proof of residency and all this stuff. Um, those went on sale, I want to say maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago for China mainland only. And, and, they were, uh, and they were quickly sent to Hong Kong for some reason. <laughs> I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that. <laughs> um, but uh, their sales cycle for the state starts in June. Uh, however, what's minor on the other hand, they have a fully deployed sales team, I think in Louisiana or somewhere. Um, and they're, they're focused on their new units selling everywhere. So, I mean, it's just a business model difference. And Bitmain also does a lot of their own mining, which people don't take into account um, with their own gear that they, if they can't sell it, they'll just run it. And that's the case for a lot of the manufacturers. Cheetah Miner is a good example of that. Um, that's not a household name in the States yet, but uh, and I, I'm not sure if what's minor does that or not, but yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of business models at play that, that most people don't know about that lead them to think that, Oh, Bitmain's going out, Bitmain's going under, but that that's not going to be the case anytime soon. Shift with side shift cool. So as a, as a U.S. miner as well, does that, does that mean that you do end up having to spend a lot of time in China kind of at source, trying to work all that out over there? So it used to be a lot more the case. Um, I can say as of recently, um, we opened a Canadian operation maybe three months ago. Didn't have to go to China for that. Um, for the new operation we're opening in the States, which is very large, we didn't have to go to China for that. Um, when you say uh, very large, so people get a, get a sense of this, um, could the power you use for that operation, could it power like a small town? Uh, yeah, so the operation that we're building out now, um, when it's fully completed, it'll be rolled out in three stages. And when the third stage is finally complete, 
it will power more than um, probably the city of Cincinnati, maybe like a fairly large size <laughs> metropolitan place. Um, but not, it's not going to use more power than like New York city or Boston. Right. It'll be, you know, maybe Alameda, California, like a medium sized couple million people. Still not bad though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had, uh, we had Emin on the show who, you know, yeah. yeah. And, um, I don't know. What is your view on, uh, if mining is a waste or not? So I can say, uh, factually, that over 80% and and there are numbers to back what I'm saying here over 80% of the hash rate that is on today is powered by one of two things it's powered by 100% renewables or it's powered by energy that would otherwise be wasted and there is some crossover there meaning that it could be renewables that would also otherwise be wasted let me give you an example a large concentration of mining power is in northern sweden and it's a lot of hydro but the thing is nobody lives in sweden (laughs) and they're not connected to like norway or finland to like redistribute power so all the 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 it's okay nobody lives there either yeah well that's the thing it's like nobody is there to use that power and so if it's there that's why you have big data centers there like google has a big one there facebook just launched a massive one there um, I mean, the, the EU has a research and development facility in Northern Sweden because nobody's there and nobody has a use for that power. So it's cheap, it's green, and it's going to be wasted otherwise. So that kind of story is the same for like Iceland, remote parts of China. Um, Texas is a good example because Texas is not connected to the rest of the U.S. grid. It's its own kind of like sovereign power grid and it can't resell to the rest of the States, just like Sweden. And I mean, there's tons of places like that. So the reality is 80% of this hash power is either green or being used in a fashion that wouldn't be used otherwise. So, and there's a lot of, I don't, I don't know of any large scale miner that would disagree with me. I, I as well wanted to touch upon while we, while we had you as well. And we know you've been a, do some interesting stuff on the 3D mask front. So taking away from mining a little bit. So yeah, what, what are you up to with that? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, my, uh, my wife's a doctor and when all this stuff started shaking loose in China, I've got family in China and they were like telling me all this crazy stuff going on. I was like, holy crap, this is going to be nuts. Started seeing cases in the U.S. and uh, we live very close to uh, a large hospital in Boston and uh, the president of that hospital tweeted, uh, I'm surprised that nobody stepped forward to start making 3D printed masks. And I was like, I know how to do that. So we started designing some things and um, got in touch with uh, the president of the hospital. And they were interested to kind of give them uh, what they call a fit test to kind of basically put a plastic bag on your head and spray some aerosol in there and see if you can taste the aerosol from within the mask to know if it works. And so me and uh, some of my buddies took a bunch of different prototypes to them. And we were all thinking, there's no way these are going to work up against like a commercial grade, like 3M N95 mask. To our surprise, two of our prototypes worked and everybody was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, Luckily, right now where I live, they just received a very large, what's called a SANRAD. It's um, 
It's like gasified hydrogen peroxide to sanitize N95 masks. So they're not going to need them here, but uh, we've sent the designs to New York hospitals, um, tons of people around the globe, actually. I got a, a message from somebody uh, in the Philippines that was like using them at a hospital, which is really cool. Of course, I'm not a doctor. I'm just an engineer that knows how to make cool stuff. And, you know, if it can help somebody, that's great. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's every nerd's responsibility right now to kind of help how they can. And that's how I figured I could help. So. So if you guys want to keep up with Marshall and everything he's up to, I'm guessing the best way is via Twitter, right? Or is there another way? Yeah. Twitter at uh, OGBTC is the, the handle. Thank you so much, Marshall. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Always fun to talk shit coins with shitcoin.com as usual. <laughs> <laughs>